So Shabbat Shalom, everybody. So I'm starting, uh, I'm starting today off with a, with a sports analogy. So for all of you who are not sporting people, just forgive me. So let's go. Let's take a look at this first slide. Tell me what you, what you think here. Okay. Sporting analogy. What do, first of all, do we know who these two people are? If you don't, where have you been hiding? Okay. All right. We have uh, Tom Brady and we have Derek Jeter. I put these two men up there as an example of something. Okay. And the reason I put up uh, Mr. Brady there is uh, because I don't think about anything negative regarding the Yankees. You know, only the positive things. Okay. But there's something serious I do want to talk to you about in relation to today's Torah portion. And these two men do have something very, very important in common. Besides the fact that they're, you know, world-class athletes and make a lot of money and have all of that, right? One of them has... Uh, really messed with his reputation this week, has he not? Now, I don't care whether you think a man is guilty or innocent. It really isn't. It isn't even an issue of that anymore. It's because when we are famous, when we are powerful, we have not only that fame and power, but we have great responsibility, right? In fact, Winston Churchill... He once said, the price of greatness is responsibility. And yet so often in our world today, we don't really think about the fact that if we're put in a really important and responsible position, that there's a lot of other stuff that goes along with it. Fame comes with a price. Power comes with a price. So I want you to, I want to read something that was written about Mr. Brady, because I, you know, I like beating on the uh, New England Patriots, I have to tell you, um, this year. Here's a man who everybody knows, they just won his fourth Super Bowl. He's uh, wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice. He's famous all over the world. We all know about his superstar wife. She's another woman just like every other one. And, oh, right, I forgot about that. And... Um, Probably has problems just like everybody else, you know. That's just the way it is. But he did, does have one other thing. Tremendous influence in the world. What he says affects the lives of many, many, many people. And he can't get past that. So here's what it said in relation to, you, know, you all know the issue, right? Somebody, somebody deflated some of the balls to make them, but who cares? The ball thing doesn't matter. What does matter, it appears, is that he lied to everyone. The crime wasn't the problem. It was the crime that he committed after, just like Watergate, you know? <laughs> so he did lie, though. There's no question about that. So he says, it says, Brady, four-time Super Bowl champion, and until, and until this, the greatest quarterback of all time, takes the biggest hit because he's always seemed so earnest, a refreshing counterpoint to the diabolical hoodie living the American dream, the beautiful Giselle on his arm, someone we wanted so badly to believe, someone we trusted. And now, how are we to believe anything other than Tom Terrific is a wolf in sheep's clothing? 
A co-conspirator with a pair of organi organization lackeys to gain a competitive advantage to ensure he would have a chance to win his first Super Bowl in 10 years. Is that how he wants to be thought of? And yet it's very hard not to think of him that way. When you look at the other picture, Derek Jeter, you can't think of anything bad anybody ever said about this guy. We all watched him for 20 years. He's squeaky clean. He's moral, you know. He, he understood it, and he maintained his integrity throughout his, minute, his time in baseball. And hopefully he'll maintain it for the rest of his life, because he's still a very famous person. So that leads us to today's Torah portion. Today's Torah portion, if you read the beginning of Imor, the opening lines of Imor are instructions to the priests about how they are to behave. And if you, would, if you were to read what they say, they're very, very difficult words. Now, we'll look at a couple of them. But I want to start by, uh, by, with this quotation from a man named Alan Ross, who wrote a book on uh, commentary on the book of Leviticus called Holiness to the Lord. And he sums up this Torah portion uh, uh, by stating that those whom God has called to be spiritual leaders must reflect the holiness of the Lord in all they do and exemplify the faith in the eyes of the congregation. Let me repeat that, particularly for all of you who have leading roles in this congregation. Those who are, God has called to be spiritual leaders must reflect the holiness of the Lord in all they do and exemplify the faith in the eyes of the congregation. That means that we do not have the same kind of wiggle room that other people get. And that's what's happened to the priesthood. Why is that? It starts with this. We have a great responsibility. Just as the priesthood long ago is, even, in, even today, we have a great responsibility. This is what it says in, in the 21st chapter, and this is just one sentence out of a whole list, a litany of things that the priest must hold to. It says, They shall be holy to their God, and not profane the name of their God, for they present the offerings by fire to the Lord, the food of their God, so they shall be holy. Here's the thing about people in great positions, whether it's in a congregational setting or the one I just showed you. We, whether you like it or not, we have a great responsibility because we stand in for God. Whenever I, I, I'm in association with people, I understand something, particularly if they don't know me very well personally, that I am a representative of something. And that's something I cannot get away from, even if I want it. If I want to get away from it, then I have to retire. I have to step down from my position. It's something that goes along with it. And the ancient priests, that was their, their, their calling. That not only... It says they will be holy to their God, they shall not profane the name of their God. They present the offerings by fire to the Lord. In other words, they get to come really close to God. It's one of the great privileges of leadership that we get an opportunity for nearness to God that others do not get. Okay? If you're a worship leader, for instance, 
we get to administer directly to the Lord. You know, Paul, I had an anniversary on this particular parsha myself. 25 years ago on this parsha was my first sermon. The first sermon I ever gave. You were there. <laughs> That's right. So we, well, we have a connection, yet another connection, right? <laughs> okay. And, and I remember and I recall, uh, after I got over all the fear that I was going through, the, the depth of how I felt about this, the Haftorah, which is really what I preached on. I preached on the Haftorah. That there is a tremendous responsibility when you get up in front of others to speak the word of God. To represent the word of God in music. To be a, an administrator. Because we represent God to people and people's understanding and uh, their feelings about God are affected by the things that we do and say, how we conduct ourselves. And that's a great responsibility. And we have to remember that. You see? And so it's really, it can be difficult. It can be hard, yes. And sometimes we don't want it. But it is there nonetheless. And I want to encourage us, all of those who find ourselves in that position, to rely heavily on the Lord. We're going to talk more about that as we go. But first, we need to understand that there is great responsibility. So, who wants that, right? After all, I don't want, I want benefits, I don't want responsibility, right? So, the question we might ask is, given all this responsibility, so what's in it for me? What's in it for us? You know, I don't know, I don't... Is Giselle waiting around the corner? <laughs> no. I mean, please, I, don't, I need something better than that. Uh, yes, what is there in it for us? Well, here it comes. Well, with great responsibility, and now it's not going to work. Huh? Uh, young man, behind the, 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 yeah. Is that working? Because it's not working here. It's on. Flip it for me to the next one. It's not, tell me that's not working up there either. There we go. There's a great reward. As I told you, I preached this sermon 25 years ago from Ezekiel chapter 44. And it, it says, It shall be with regard to an inheritance, speaking of the priesthood, that I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. Now, when you, I, I want you to meditate on that for a moment. That what we receive in return for this great responsibility that we are given is God himself. We get an opportunity with God that is not shared. And let's remember how it was for the ancient priesthood, particularly the high priest. He got to stand in the very physical presence of God on Yom Kippur. He could come closer to God than any of his brethren. Now his life was circumscribed quite tightly as a result of all of that. It's true. But what a reward. 
For friends, what is there greater than that, than to be able to be communing with God? It's the purpose of life. It's the, it's the reason for which you were created. All this facade that we have built around us, it's, it's a falsehood. It's referential structure so that we can move through life. But it is not our purpose. Our purpose is to be united with our God. And this is what he represented. This, is what, this was the reward that the priesthood could receive. And this is what we can receive as those who serve the Lord in this context. If we open our hearts to it. If we give ourselves over entirely. See, the high priest, he was circumscribed quite, quite, quite uh, tightly. And we're going to talk about the fact that he could have no blemish. I went through a list of all the restraints on the priest, the physical restraints. He had to be, this, you know, he had to be, um, well, let me read it. What the heck? Don't make me remember. I can't be a high priest anymore because I have no memory. Um, let's see. He says, For no one who has a defect shall approach a blind man or a lame man or he was disfigured or any deformed person or a man with a broken foot or hand a hunchback, a dwarf, one who has uh, skin disease or scabs or crushed... Uh, yeah, I won't say what's crushed. That's too much. Uh, uh, right. All of these things, he must have no defect. He must be perfect. He can only marry this kind of a person and so on. Cannot be divorced. All these kinds of things. Really stringent. Why? Why? What? What's God after? He's after, he wants to know what we, the best of us, what we can most be. You understand? That what the priest represents is what mankind will be when God is finished with us. No more disease. No more defect. No more sin. And so, we who represent God we strive for these things in our own lives. We strive for them because we represent him. We are the face of God to the world. But there is a great reward. We will have a possession that cannot be got any other way for no amount of money, no amount of power or influence. We can have God himself as our holy possession. Now, all this sounds very difficult. I have to say, it really seems difficult after so many years of service. It has been. In order to maintain integrity, we sometimes have to make sacrifice. That's the way it is. We can't always have everything our own way. So, here's an interesting little parallel. So I just read you off a list of all the things that a priest cannot be, you know, right? He has to, can't be deformed in any way and so on and so forth. Uh, 
Interesting, in the next chapter, it talks about the sacrifices. And when you compare them, I'm going to read just a little bit of it. In chapter uh, 22, let's see. Uh, Well, let's see. 21.20. That's the man. Uh, okay, here it is. So here's what it says about the sacrifices. It says, when a man offers a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord to fulfill a special vow or a free will offering of the herd of the flock, it must be perfect to be accepted. No defect in it. So those that are blind or fractured or maimed or have sores or skin disease or scabs, you shall not offer to the Lord nor make of them an offering by fire on the altar. Wait a minute. It says, uh, it can't be crushed or bruised or torn or cut. In other words, the sacrifice must be like the priest. The sacrifice must be like the one who is sacrificing. Where does, that, where does that come into our mind? That the Messiah, who was the great, who offered himself, was perfected for us. And we emulate that by making ourselves as perfect a sacrifice as we are able. But remember that it is a sacrifice. Leadership, to be a leader is to be a person who is willing to sacrifice. It's not just for our own, you know, self-aggrandizement, as in the case of the stocking-headed one in the beginning. It's not for that purpose. That when we are given great position, it comes with a great responsibility. And therefore, there's going to be a sacrifice involved. We have to be willing to be that perfect sacrifice. Offering ourselves up for the sake of others. That's what it's really all about. That's what service is. If you don't want to be that, you should not be in leadership. And Messiah Yeshua taught us that that is the power of leadership in the kingdom of heaven. He who would be the greatest among us must be the servant of all. And as a result of that, yes, we have a great responsibility and a great reward, but we have something more. We have a great model. It says in the book of Hebrews, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. So the Messiah knows all the things that we've had to endure. He knows what it means to be a leader, to lay down one's life for the sake of those to whom he is entrusted, who have been entrusted to him. He knows that he represents God before all of us. And as such, he is going to honor God in everything that he does. I'm always reminded when I hear this, of Messiah Yeshua's temptation in the wilderness by the evil one. And three times the evil one tries to make, make, makes it hard on Yeshua. Tries to trip him up. And each time Yeshua 
defends the honor of God. He upholds the power of the Lord in his life. And as a result of it, he wins in the end. He's our great example. And that's the example that we have, all have to look to because Messiah Yeshua is our great model. So, example, story, just before we end here. Very interesting little story if you think it doesn't matter what you do. By the way, if you're a leader in the congregation, everybody is looking at you all the time whether you think so or not. So this is a story that was told about a rabbi who uh, was heading back home after a fundraising trip that he was on. And it says, while he was approaching the Denver airport, the plane he was on began to experience difficulty with his landing gear. And without the wheels, it looked like they had to prepare to make a risky, uh, risky landing at the airport. So for safety measures, they circled the airport for a few hours, getting rid of all the fuel, uh, so, and allowed the emergency crews on the ground to get ready to, run, uh, re to ready the runway with non-flammable foam brickin, because they figured once the plane landed, it was going to blow up. So on the plane, the crew was occupied with readying the passengers with all kinds of scary contingency plans while trying to remain calm and give an aura of confidence in what was a life and death situation. Well, the rabbi had, had access to his siddur, and as on Yom Kippur, he launched into a teary confessional, wondering within what type of father, friend, and husband, and servant of Hashem he had been. The more he contemplated these things, the more he readied himself to surrender his soul to his creator. When the plane landed, it was bumpy indeed, but everyone was safe, and there was a huge sigh of relief. The emergency crew immediately opened the cabin door and attached the ladder and started to quickly exit the passengers. And as people hurried off the plane, they paused for a moment and thanked the stewardesses and the pilots for demonstrating such grace under pressure. And the rabbi stood last to disembark, and glancing at his watch, he realized he had a half an hour before Shabbos. He began to scurry off the plane, and he too paused by the crew, and he thanked them heartily for a job well done. Just then, the head stewardess said with tears, Rabbi, everyone who left the plane thanked us for what we did to keep them calm. They were looking at us for guidance. But Rabbi, we were all looking to you. And here he was concerned about his own fate. And others were looking to him as a symbol of strength because they saw in him someone who represented God to them. You see, sometimes even without knowing these things. We mean a whole lot to other people. And if that's the case, then we have to do everything that we can to represent God well, as well as we possibly can. We're human. We have to sacrifice just like Messiah Yeshua. And if we do, then like Messiah Yeshua, we can be a source of life. You know, the end of this quote says something very significant. It says, at the, toward the end of that quotation, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And like Messiah Yeshua, we too can become sources of salvation 
through sacrificial service toward others. Amen. Congregation, let's honor our Messiah. Why don't we stand? And we'll turn to page 78 as we enter into the Musaf portion of our service. So once, once more, one, little, one more lesson for my leadership. Remember, people are watching you, whether you think they're watching you or not. And whatever you do, it's, we, we always have a saying in the ministry business. My liberty is your license. So I have to watch what my liberties are. So, let's do our best to be like Messiah Yeshua and everything. 